0: Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, joined by Jim Callis today. It's uh, the weekend of the draft signing deadline. We're recording this on the Friday prior to the weekend. The draft signing deadline is midnight on Monday, August fifteenth. Jim, when a team uh, if a team doesn't have their players signed by twelve oh one when Tuesday starts and Monday ends, they lose the rights to those to those players. So it's the fifth year of a draft signing deadline, Jim. And let's just quickly: uh, this uh, the CBA is up this year. I think all baseball fans know they're renegotiating the collective bar- bargaining agreement. We've reported repeatedly that the draft will be a big issue. Uh, we think in the draft uh, in in the uh, CBA. Uh, let's assess these last five years because this year, Jim, Jim, seems like the absurd extreme of the unintended consequences of the signing deadline, and that we have a giant pool of unsigned players. And you have a general manager like Dayton Moore quoted this week in Kansas City saying, "No, they aren't having daily discussions with the advisor uh, for Bubba Starling," uh, and you know because there's nothing to talk about. And he's saying that less than a week before the deadline. Uh, assess these five years of the deadline and kind of how we got to this
1: point where so many players are unsigned. Well, I think we got to this point because MLB just does not understand. The simple reality: the teams want to sign the players. At the end of the day, you can come up with all these mechanisms and negotiating strategies that MLB thinks is going to give teams more hand uh, to make a little uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, reference or a Seinfeld restaurant a like Seinfeld that. reference. But uh, it doesn't because teams, in the end, want to sign the players. And you go back to the last CBA, and they put in a signing deadline, and MLB and they added increased compensation. For unsigned picks used to be if you didn't sign your first round pick you got a pick at the end of the sandwich round and that was it now if you don't sign a pick in the first two rounds you get essentially the same pick next year and if you don't sign your third round pick you get a supplemental third round pick the following year and MLB was convinced when they won those concessions that. Okay, now the teams have all the leverage, You know, or not all the leverage, but a lot more leverage. Players can't hold out until a week before next year's draft, and now teams can walk away from players because of the compensation. Well, teams don't want to walk away from the players, so it doesn't work. And the deadline part of it didn't add any leverage because agents just need a deadline. It could be the day after the draft. It could be three weeks after the draft. It could be August 15th. It could be a week until before the next year's draft, and these players are going to get pretty much the same money because the team's – we'll just get taken to the deadline by the agents this year. What's happened. It seems like the strategy for MLB this year is to tell teams, especially with college juniors and especially with a majority of the first round picks so far, you may, you know, you have to make a written offer a formal written offer within 15 days of the draft. And there are a lot of players out there, you know, first rounders college juniors who got offered MLB's recommended bonus offer within 15 days of the draft, and that's been it. And I don't know when MLB is going to tell teams, okay, now you can negotiate, but that's why things have been so slow this year, not just in the first round, but if you look, there are a lot of unsigned college juniors all over the draft. Um, and that, That's MLB amazing, had- to be honest, Jim. To me, that's that's almost more amazing than the
0: fact that we only have four of the first, or uh, well, we have five of the first 25, 27 draft picks signed. The The fact that college juniors who have about as little leverage. I mean, I know they have some leverage. I like to go back as a senior, but these guys don't want to go back as seniors. And the fact that there's this giant pool of college juniors unsigned at this point is kind of remarkable. I think, I think that's what really well, you know tells what it is, the
1: tale. It, they've created a will because here's the, the, the reason they're unsigned. And a lot of these guys probably are probably going to sign close to slot or for a little over slot. You know, we saw yesterday, you know, Anthony Mayo signed for $625,000, which is a little over slot. Adam Conley agreed to $625,000, which is a little over slot. Uh, uh, B.A. Volmuth signed for slot with the A's in the third round. But the problem is it's not that these guys – I wouldn't even call it holding out. I think people are just antagonized on the player side of this. Because if, if you're a college junior and you're basically being told you have to sign for slot, Well, who came up with these slots? Were they negotiated? No. (laughs) The slots are lower than they were in 2006, which Which is is ridiculous when you think of how much the revenues of baseball have grown. And what happened was when they instituted the extra compensation and the signing deadline in 2007, MLB, like I said, thought, okay, we control the draft now. The teams are in control. So they cut the slot recommendations by 10%. And what happened was a lot of guys held out just to get the 10% cutback and they got it, and they've basically educated players and agents that the longer you wait, the more you get paid. You know, if you're, you know, if you get paid more if you sign August 15th, than you do if you sign August 1st, than you do if you sign July 15th. And agents basically, I mean, I talked to a lot of agents, and they basically regard the slots only as that's the number you can sign for right away. They otherwise think it has no basis in fact. And last year, you know, I lined up, the top 50 slots in baseball, what those were worth, and then what the top 50 bonuses in baseball were worth. And the slots were were 37% lower than the bonuses. And I I do think if you had a – reflection of reality, that the slots should not be lower than 2006, that they either grew from 2006 based on, say, the growth of revenues in baseball, or just if you pegged them to what the bonuses actually were the year before, and we had slots this year that were 37% higher, which would be a lot more realistic, then I think you'd have a lot more guys signed by now. And so I I, I blame baseball for this problem because they're heavy-handedly telling guys, this is what you have to take. And it's numbers that MLB created. It's not numbers that MLB and the union negotiated. And like I said, I mean, to tell a guy you're worth less. And here we are in in a draft that everybody considers one of the best drafts in recent memory. And to tell a guy you're worth less than than a comparable player five years ago, even though that was a lesser draft, is ludicrous. And so anyway, these guys will sign. But that's the reason they aren't signed now is there's just a lot of bad will created. And the problem is, too. MLB, not only, you know, they recommend these bonuses. And I, th- I know a lot of our listeners know this, but we'll just walk through the process. If I yeah, want to. I think it's worthwhile to walk through it. If I want to sign John Manuel, let's say I draft you in the third round. Uh, first of all, you never drafted me. <laughs> well, you want to go to UNC really badly and you want a million dollars. And I believe in you and I want to give you a million dollars. I can't just, you know, teams wish it were so simple as we, we, we hammer out the bonus and we're done. And a lot of times these bonuses are agreed to when I draft you. Right. But. I can't give it to you right away. So, anyway, if I want to give you a million dollars, I, I first have to go to MLB and say, I want to give John a million dollars. And then they basically make me jump through a bunch of hoops and explain why you're worth a million dollars. And I can have all these arguments, scouting reports, this and that. And then MLB, without fail, I, I can only think of maybe one example I know of where they agreed with the team, and that's because they talked the Astros out of signing Drew Stubbs out of high school, which wound up hurting the Astros. But anyway, the MLB will say, "Well, no, our, our Major League scouting bureau reports say John's worth, you know, slot money. Don't do it. We don't like it." And then I say, "Essentially, well, no, you know what? I, I still want to do it. I believe in John. I trust in my scouts." So then MLB will go to my owner or my GM or whoever they feel like they have connections with, and lobby them not to do it. And eventually, hopefully, you know, if I get the support of my front office, they'll say, "No, we're we're going to sign the guy with John for a million dollars." But it's still more complicated because. I am not allowed to offer you the million dollars formally, although people are obviously discussing money all the time, sure you know, before it gets to the end i can 't offer you that million dollars until MLB approves the offer and granted they can 't do a whole lot to you if you don 't go through the process or I offer you know it, it leaks out that i 've actually extended the offer formally uh, before MLB signs off on allowing me to even make the offer, you know they can fine you. Um, they can try political influence, like maybe they don't give me an all-star game I'm counting on. Right. You know, maybe if I'm a small revenue team, they withhold or delay discretionary funds or are sent my way. And I had somebody tell me this morning that this year MLB has actually – I don't even know how they could do this. But MLB has actually threatened to take away future draft picks from teams who don't go through the process. And so it's, it's just a horrible, horrible process. It's not just a matter of – are threatening to take away future draft picks? i don 't even know what like, the legality of that if they could actually do that, but that 's what somebody told me this morning when I, we were, we were gra- grousing about how stupid the whole process is and how it makes it much more difficult and I was told that uh, that that MLb i mean I, again i don 't know if they really have the the power to do that like, that 's that would stand up because if I were a team, they took my draft picks because they didn 't like the fact that I extended an offer too early. Uh, I mean, a fine's one thing, but the draft picks are worth a lot more than what the fine would be. I mean, I think you have an issue there. So I, I, I don't know if that would stand up under scrutiny if they actually tried to do that. But, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of scouting the player and determining what you think he's worth and reaching a deal. You basically have to have MLB not only try to talk you out of it, but MLB tells you when you're allowed to make the offer. And that's why teams are so – Uh, skittish of stuff getting reported because a lot of times we'll report something uh, and perhaps MLB hasn't even given them the permission to formally extend the offer. But but obviously, I mean – you know, in a lot of this year, it's been a little bit tighter than most because a lot of the first-round picks still haven't been offered over-slot. But in a lot of cases, there is behind-the-scenes discussion going on where I may be talking to the—you know—if I'm a team, I'm talking to the agent and we're negotiating. Even though I may not formally have MLB's permission to extend those offers to the player, you still have to do some of that because if you don't, there's no way you can sign everybody. Uh, you know, going into the final weekend. I mean, just, just look at the Blue Jays right now have four picks in the first two rounds and then their third through 10th picks around the picks are all unsigned. There's, you know, I'm not accusing anybody of wrongdoing, but there, I find it hard to believe that the Blue Jays haven't, you know, entered into more serious negotiations uh, with some of those picks because there's no way they could get them all signed.
0: I agree. That's the Baseball America podcast with John and Jim. That does strain credul- credulity. and uh, I think the Blue Jays are smarter than that. Let's, uh, Jim, so that's how we got – where we are where we are is a ton of unsigned first round picks i'd like to run through the first round just real quick hit on maybe any real trouble spots and then we'll just maybe just briefly division by division go by each team so you can listen to your team and say what is my team going to do uh draft signing wise You you ready to roll on that i am let's roll on that in the first round jim One thing that stands out to me is that since the draft deadline started, 2007, first year of the deadline, everybody signed in the first round. But the last three years since then, we've had at least two unsigned first-round picks every year. Now, some of those have been different cases, like Dylan Covey last year was not because necessarily the deadline, although that sure didn't help the Brewers make up for Dylan Covey, late diagnosis of diabetes. I don't think they were going to sign him anyway, but maybe he would have signed if they would had that physical in June. Maybe Dylan Covey could have gotten his diabetes under control that summer and said, okay, I do have it under control. I actually do want to go ahead and sign and go out into Pro Bowl. I mean, who knows? We'll never know. But the, the fact is that we had a long stretch in the 2000s where we didn't have that many unsigned first-round picks, and now the last three years we've had eight unsigned first-round picks. I know you've said most of the summer you feel like every first-round pick is going to sign. Do you still feel that way now
1: heading into the weekend? I do, and, you know, and again – I wouldn't say it's a lock. I wouldn't say, you know, it's 90% or, you know, definitely. <laughs> I knew you were going there. I just think that in the end that, the, that these guys are all going to get offered more money than most cases they can turn down. That said, as you pointed out, you, know, we, you, you do get situations. You had the Aaron Crowe situation three years ago where the Nationals and his advisors, the Hendricks brothers, you know, kind of the same thing. This delayed negotiation until right. the last second, and then it blew up, and he wound up not signing. Or um, this year's yeah. or
0: this year's first overall pick, Garrett Cole. Same thing happened three years ago when he came out of high school. I mean, he, yeah. Although it's, it, he, I know it was, I was a different case, but I mean, he the the deadline did not help. The, the closer he got to school, the more comfortable he got with the idea of going to school.
1: Right, and then, right, was that, to say, you know, that happens too. I mean, I don't think that was acrimonious. I don't even think right. they really exchanged numbers at the end. But what happened is because Garrett Cole was going to get over – he probably had the best stuff in that draft, just like he has the best stuff in this draft, the best he pure stuff. He was the stuff. best high school – he was the best high school pitcher in that draft.
0: There was only one other high school pitcher even drafted in the first round, high school right-hander, I should say. It was Ethan Martin, and this guy's better than Ethan Martin. I mean, he right. was and so, then and he's better now. Yeah.
1: And said so with Cole, what happened was because he was going to get a big overslap bonus, he wasn 't going to be able to slot, sign until August fifteenth if he signed, and the Yankees do what a lot of teams do, which is you know hey you know we 'll we'll come back in august and we 'll figure this out you know they don 't put the full core pressure on because you can 't sign the guy in June or July anyway, and by the time it was time to sit down and talk serious money you know, he had gotten more excited about, you know, UCLA and had been, I mean, that's one of the reasons the deadline, I mean, some people tell you, and I do think some of the players will sweat the deadline because they have to wait so long and maybe sign a little quicker, but the flip side of that is too, I think some of these high school kids, if the signing deadline was a lot closer to the draft and they had to make it, you know, and they're still fresh off being drafted and they're excited about being drafted, you know, I think a Garrett Cole, if you had a July 1st deadline in 2008, I think Garrett Cole's a Yankee and he's probably in their big league rotation right now. I agree. Um. You know, and then, you know, as you point out, you you had two guys who had physical issues last year, and you had the Karsten Whitson negotiation where there was a dispute over, you know, what had been agreed to, you know, before the draft, what kind of parameters. And Correct. then in 2009, you had a, a kind of an odd situation with Matt Perk where team agrees to pay him $6 million. Right. and. They don't have six million dollars. You know, MLB controlling the finances and says there's no way we're allowing you to pay six I mean, million dollars. Like I said,
0: I mean, yeah, we that th- like I said, there, th- all these situations have been different. But the fact that if there's any complications, they're only going to be resolved. We have a we have a b- very small window to resolve them. I think that has led to more unsigned first round picks. So, let's. So the first question is, who is the most? If if anyone doesn't sign in the first round, who are the most likely guys to not sign? Would it be someone like uh, Tyler Beatty 21st overall to the Blue Jays? I know that uh, Jonathan Mayo, whom you worked with uh, on the MLB Network broadcast the draft. Uh, Jonathan reported there's some real complications with Tyler Beattie. Um, I, and he was always discussed as a tough sign. There have been various rumors about Tampa's uh, first-round picks, Mikey Montauk and Taylor Guerrero, or Joe Ross, the Padres. Uh, who's the least likely, if, if there's any first-rounder, uh, that's most unlikely to sign, if you had to
1: pick one, mm-hmm. whom would you pick? Be really up in the air here you because know, it's you know, Jonathan, who I respect a lot, and you had a story last night, oh, Tyler Beatty's pretty much going to Vanderbilt. It's over. And the funny thing about that was right after the draft, you had some people reporting, oh, he's got a pre-draft deal already in place, which the Blue, Blue Jays angrily denied. So, which I, I, don't I, believe, how-
0: I believe that he did have a pre-draft deal in place, but not with Toronto. I believe he had pre-draft
1: deals. My information is he had pre-draft
0: deals in place with one or two other clubs, but not the Blue Jays.
1: Right. And, but it was reported that the Blue Jays already had a deal with. So anyway, right. That was better. Um, yeah, and so anyway, I, I I made a couple calls, and, and I was told, you know, that isn't as you know, it's just they're not close because again, the team is not authorized to offer. You know, w- yeah, you know, I don't know if they've offered slot. I don't think they've really offered more than slot as far as I can determine, and, and that's not going to get it done. But I don't think, you know, I think if they don't offer slot, yeah, he'll go to Vanderbilt. I just. <laughs> you know, if I had to pick a guy, well, the thing is, there's there's no obvious guy. I mean, there's guys who could be problem. I mean, you hear talk that Danny Holson you know, is asking for 13 or 14 million dollars, um, which I don't think he's going to get if that's true. Um, and again, I mean, he's a college junior, hasn't been to slot, uh, hasn't been offered over slot. You know, and and you have the possibility that something blows up. I mean, you have Taylor Youngman, the Brewers, uh, you know, haven't made it over. Sl- Slot offer on their two college pitchers, and you know, Taylor Youngman's represented by Hendrick Sports Management, which had Aaron Crow. And again, you know, if you know, maybe Youngman has an expectation of a big league contract. You know, I don't know what he was looking for exactly going into the draft, and maybe that blows up a little bit. You know, Beattie's potential. You know, you hear stories. Joe Ross of the Padres, high school pitcher at 25, you know, has been offered, you know, over two million dollars and and balked at it. You know, and if that's the case, you know, how much higher are they going to go? You know, Blake's. I think might take $3 million to sign uh, by the Red Sox, although I think they'll spend it, but that's still, you know, that, that's a lot of money. So I, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a guy or two, you know, that there's bad blood or something, you know, maybe somebody, you know, has a Barrett still Dylan Covey situation like last year where something crops up in the physical at the last second. But, um, Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know who the obvious candidates are. It is those are maybe you know some of the more likely ones, but I do think in the end, I haven't heard anything on any of these guys that makes me think that, that it's not going to happen to this point. Okay,
0: that's good to know. That, that's I, I'm with you. I think maybe there'll be one guy who doesn't
1: sign, and it might be even a surprise. But uh, I, the over under, if we were sending over under, the probably the same. You know, if we're, we're Vegas and we're trying to split the money evenly, yeah, the over under think- probably should be 32 is how many first-round picks, 32 out of 33. It's just, you know, it would be tough to pinpoint, which, you know, as of right now, nothing I don't think has blown up to the point where you're like, oh, you know, I don't think that guy's going to sign. I'm not a gambler, but I would would bet the over-under would be 31
0: because the last three years, eight guys haven't signed in the first round. Just using those numbers, I'd say you should expect, even though we don't know necessarily who it will be right now, I would say you should expect, I think it's fair to expect two guys to not sign. If I had to pick two guys who wouldn't sign, I don't have as much information as you uh, on this, but it wouldn't shock me if it's one high school guy and one college guy. I think all these college guys should sign. And to me, Youngman and Matuk, because the the Rays, you know, have a lot of picks, and it just seems like most of the time teams that have a bonanza like that um, and they had an unprecedented bonanza, it's hard to sign all those guys. Um, And I think that – I don't think Matuk wants to go back to school, but it wouldn't shock me. And then uh, the other college guy would be Youngman, like you said. I don't expect him to go back to Texas, but it is Texas. They have their own TV network this year. Maybe Taylor Youngman wants to do uh, Longhorn Network sideline commentary for the football team. Um, but one of the other things that you talked about, and, and uh, on the high school side, it wouldn't shock me if one of those high school pitchers wound up in college. But I don't. I, I'm with you. I'm hoping actually that all 33 guys sign, and I and I like college baseball, um, so I kind of hope some of those guys wind up in school. Jim, one of the things that we've talked about off-air uh, the last week or so is just the, the the bonuses and the money that these guys are going to get. And why don't you tell that – well, you don't have to tell the details, but it sounds like the first – we have Garrett Coles, the only guy signed in the first nine selections. No, no, Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, I'm sorry. Thank you, Trevor Bauer. Um, approximately how much money do we think those first nine pick, those eight other unsigned guys – You know, from Javier Baez, Lindor, Archie Bradley, Anthony Rendon, Bubba Starling, Dylan Bundy, uh, Danny Hultz, and Garrett Cole, that's going to be around $50 million, isn't it, for those eight other guys? Is that a conservative estimate? Am I a little
1: low in saying $50 million? Well, Bud Seelig's probably choking if he's if hearing you say that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's for the six elite guys, you know, Garrett Cole, Danny Holson, Dylan Bundy, Bubba Starling, Anthony Rendon, Archie Bradley, who are all in the top seven along with Trevor Bauer. You know, last Monday when I did SBA, yeah, I kind of put in I, – I, maybe I'm, I'm angling to work in Vegas because I put an over-under on those six guys because I think <laughs> yeah. they're all going to get big league deals or two-sport deals where the bonus is spread over multiple years. I put the over/under on those six guys at forty-one and a half million bucks, and that might be light. That might be light. Um, and then Lindor and Baez at eight and nine, I don't think are quite in the same class. And you're going to have kind of a tug-of-war between the player side is going to sit there and say, "Hey, you know, the first seven picks in this draft averaged about six or seven million dollars. We're not saying we're in their class, but we should get, you know, say four million. They'll try to piggyback on that a little bit. Um, you know, I'd, I'd maybe say." You know, if you add in Lindor and Baez, you know maybe I was a tick light. You know, you, you might be talking at forty-seven million for those eight top ten picks who are unsigned right now. And on the on the backside of the first round, when you look in the twenties and you've got Tyler Beattie, uh Joe Ross, Blake Swihart, Robert Stevenson, I think all four of those guys could get bonuses that start with a two. And Beatty and Swihart could get bonuses that start with a three, depending on where it ends up. And you also have Alex Meyer lurking down there. And Alex Meyer is advised by by the Boris Corporation. And Scott is very good at his job and very good at keeping score. And Alex Meyer turned down two million dollars from the Red Sox out of high school. And I, again, if I'm setting over unders, I'll bet you Scott's trying to get Alex Meyer signed for at least two million dollars or two point one. Uh, so you could have you know five, six guys in the twenties who get two million dollar bonuses.
0: That's a lot of money. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and Jim. Uh, Jim, let's talk about let's let's go team by team. Let's start in the National League because everyone always starts from the American League East. Let's start <laughs> in the National League East. It appears that the Braves are a team. But it's going to go alphabetical. Doesn't seem like the Braves have got anybody. <laughs> they've
1: they, they've signed their first 19 players so they are done john i think the only guy they might be in on a little bit would be carlos rodriguez high school lefty uh from honolulu although i'm not sure that i, I think he may wind up at oregon state but i, I think he would be their top priority of their unsigned guys but you know they don't go over slot i think they went over slot for one guy they gave Navy more four hundred thousand dollars in the 14th round the other day right um and you know i don't know if they're going to get carlos rodriguez done
0: Okay. It seems, the, the other reason I started the National League East is it seems like it's a little easier. Uh, the Marlins. It seems that the Marlin. Marlins really, their they're, they're weekend, the guys to watch for them seem like they're Jose Fernandez and Connor Barron, correct? I guess a little yes. bit. I guess maybe Tyler Palmer also in that factor.
1: Yeah, well, here's what's going on there. Tyler Palmer, we've heard, I, I, think, I believe he injured a hand in some kind of off-field incident. And I don't think he's going to sign. Okay. Um, and, and I don't think he's necessarily going to wind up at Georgia either. It, I don't know the exact details of the injury, but I've heard there's an injury involved. So I'm not expecting Tyler Palmer to sign. Uh, Connor Barron, their third-round pick. Um, the last information I had is they made him a very sizable offer, um, you know, possibly even late first-round money, and I think he's still going to Southern Miss. So they may not sign Connor Barron. That leaves Jose Fernandez the 14th overall pick. You know, you've heard numbers uh, with Jose Fernandez asking for numbers that begin with a three or a four. There was talk that, oh, he'll go to Japan. Uh, you know, We'll see on that one. But it looks to me like, if I have to guess right now, I don't think they're necessarily signing their third or fourth round pick. So they actually have extra money for Jose Fernandez, although I don't know that Jose Fernandez really has the leverage to command a $3 million bonus. I think they get Jose Fernandez done. But that's you know, we are talking about guys who might not sign that, that's one, you know, we are talking about a team that doesn't go over slot very much at all. Right. A guy who's asking for a couple million over slot or, or a million and a half over slot, that's a potential red flag in terms of getting a deal done. But I, I think they will get him done in the end. Anyone further down their list who could benefit if from a Conor Barron not
0: signing, like a Jared Grundy, somebody like that who's further yeah, down, heard... they might go over slot for at the last minute?
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, I don't think they'll have a big ticket signing. You know, you've got Grundy, you've got uh, – you know Your boy, Derek Grimm, G, you know Derek Varnador, You know they, these aren't guys I think necessarily are going to get big money. Um, so, you know if if you, they they might you know give two hundred fifty thousand to another guy or two that they weren't planning on. You know, they have leftover money, but I I don't think any of these guys is a guy I look at and say oh there, there's a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar guy to, right. to throw money at if we're not going to sign some of our higher picks.
0: Just just making sure. Uh, speaking of a team that has not gone over slot, and this is one thing in the five years, Jim, uh, I meant to talk about this earlier. We're going talk about the Mets, but the five years of this uh, bonus uh, sl- of the hard slotting and the deadline. The hard slotting has been almost ten years, I guess maybe more than ten years now. Um, but the deadline been in pa- in in the uh, play since two thousand seven. I you you mentioned the Astros. That's a that's a franchise that's seriously been damaged by towing the line. Uh, their farm system is bad as it's as bad as any in the game has been. The last three years, they've the last three or four years, they've been the worst farm system in the game. And I think you can directly trace it to a uh, the d- d- diminution of their Venezuelan program, loss of Andres Rainier. They were the pioneers in Venezuela, and they have not been nearly as productive in Latin America as they used to be. And B, uh, their drafts—they have drafted terribly, and they sign a lot of players for sol- slot. And it's gotten marginally better the last three years, but that, that's a whole other podcast. But the Mets are Another organization that rarely goes over slot Jim. and it has hurt and it has hurt them a great deal um, didn't we have some chart uh, that you were talking about yesterday about the uh, teams that have spent the least over
1: the last five years in this uh well the last four drafts since two thousand and seven yeah you know I, I you know if you look since the signing deadline came in in two thousand and seven you know the average team has spent you know roughly twenty four million dollars on the four you know t- the average team spends about six million dollars a year on in the draft. You know, it's, it's risen over the four years. The Mets, you know, and the Mets who are in New York have a new ballpark that have was their own much network. given to them by the you know, own network that's new. The Mets have spent a total of 18 million dollars on the draft, total. which is, you know, h- half of what the Washington Nationals have spent. You know, roughly half of what the Pittsburgh Pirates have spent. And you know, again, you know, the draft, you get what you pay for. It. That that said, this year they you know, they've been they they've handed out some slightly, you know, two hundred two 250,000 dollar deals already. They're going to have to go you know, well over slot, I believe, to sign Brandon Nimmo in the first round. I think they're prepared to do that. And I think they're going to get a couple later round guys too. I, they're putting a, a big full-court press on Phillip Evans in the fifth, 15th round, high school infielder from California. Yeah, They've got a football player, Brad Marquez, who's going to play at Texas Tech who can really fly. I think he's going to get a deal that allows him to play football at Texas Tech um, but also you know, ties him to the Mets you know, from a baseball standpoint. So I think – I think we're going to see him go over slot to get Brandon Nemo signed at number 13, and I think they're going to get a couple guys late. You know, I think a back burner guy maybe Mason Robbins in the 20th round. If they don't get some of those other guys done, I think he's in play maybe, but more as a alternative plan. And I, and I do still think they're going to sign their third rounder Logan Verrett, a Baylor. You know, and he's one of these college juniors who's they're trying to force feed him a slot that's five years old and he's a guy who had aspirations of possibly going in the first round coming into the year, and so they just haven't worked out. I mean, I, I'm sure he'll sign. I'd be shocked if he went back to Baylor for senior year, but it, it's just it's this, this atmosphere of, here, you got, you're a college junior, so you've got to take this slot that's less than what it was in 2006, and it's just not sitting well with guys. So I, I think we'll see him sign in the next couple of days.
0: Yeah, that's the Mets to me are one of the more interesting ones to watch. We'll see what Nimmo gets I like Mason Robbins, and then the Philip the Philip Evans kids interesting, and then like I said, the kid going to Texas Tech, the football player. That's a fascinating situation. Uh, the Phillies, Jim. This is a now this is one of the organizations that's toward the bottom of that list of spending. Like the, a big draft for them was two thousand what it was it two thousand eight when they spent six point seven million on their draft, and uh, that was and a that's draft roughly for
1: them. The, yeah, and they've spent eighteen over the last four years. But and then the Phillies. But they've, they've they've
0: not got, they've gotten more than what they've paid for. They have done a really nice job as an organization of bargain hunting internationally and and doing a when they go over slop for a guy. It's been guys like Jonathan Singleton and Jared Kozar whom they traded for 100 Pence. I mean they've they've done a great job. I think we, by any measure in the last five years in the draft.
1: They have. And what, and what I was going to say is why their spending numbers a little misleading because they have not had a lot of early picks. Correct. Because of signing free agents and, and what they have good. done. They are probably as willing as any team to take the the super raw athlete, the Pat Gillick type of player. And, you know, those guys have high upside. And, you know, if you're getting them – you know, like a Jonathan well, Singleton is not a an athletic guy, but they got Jonathan Singleton for you know a few hundred thousand dollars in the eighth round. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're Juwan not.
0: James. Jawan James was the first guy to go over slot
1: in two thousand seven, right? And it was barely over slot, but yeah, yeah, you know, they're getting guys for two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand so, dollars. So they're 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 getting the guys they want at at prices they value. They're eighteen, like I said, they're eighteen million, while low. It's not like they're pinching pennies. They they haven't had the high picks. They've been picking low in the first round. I mean, shoot, you know, you look this year, Garrett Cole, you know, I'd put his over under, you know, on a big league deal at around seven and a half million. If you're picking at the end of the first round, like the Phillies, you know, are, are a lot of years. And this year they had a sandwich pick. But if you're picking at the end of the first round, it's a million dollar player. So there's six million, you know, six million dollar difference on our little spending chart. So. But how are, Larry,
0: how are Larry Green and Roman Quinn not signed that surprises me. I thought Larry Green. Would have been a guy who signed for slot or close to it and goes out early because those are the kind of guys, Southern kids who have played, but they're also two sport guys, a little bit raw, both small town guys. They needed to be in the GCL this year, I think. Uh, that 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 seems like a situation that it surprises me that neither
1: of those guys had signed yet. Yeah, you know, and they're classic Phillies guys. You know, Larry Green Absolutely. has got you know, unbelie you know, he's got one huge tool, raw power. Roman Quinn, you know, might be the fastest you know top prospect in the entire draft and. You know again, I think it goes back to you have these slots that are just not realistic, and people know they 're not realistic they' they 're they're, they're five years old and they 're uh you know forty percent below reality and I think right. that 's just what 's holding it up and you have again m l b talent teams and i don't i don 't know you know maybe they've offered these two guys more than slot, but there are so many guys who have been offered slot and slot only till right now and are being forced to wait um so I, I think, but I haven't heard any indication that, that those guys aren't going to sign. Okay. Um, I would anticipate they'll both get done, and I wouldn't think they'd be huge, huge overslot guys either. You know, where they, I don't think you're you're spending two million dollars on Larry Green or Roman Quinn. So I would anticipate they'll get those guys done, and probably get their fifth rounder, uh, the high school infielder from California, Mitch Walding. Right. I, I think there's a good chance they get him done too. Okay. Anybody
0: else? For like Riley Moore. I don't know if is he a name that might be an overslot guy. He's on like an interesting. High school catching prospect that they drafted. One yeah, you know name it's to come up.
1: Yeah, you know I haven't heard much on on whether they're going to make a play for him. Um, I don't know. He's committed to Arizona. You know, possible. He's he's one of our top uh, you know top two hundred prospects. You know, they, 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 you know they kind of end up operating a little more quietly. You know, they, they always seem to sign a guy like that. You know, late. You know, like a Brody Colvin. You know, got signed. You know, on the day of the deadline while he's at orientation. At, at LSU. So, right. they, they probably, you know, Jared Kozart got signed, you know, hours before the deadline after an American Legion game. Um, you know, they, they probably have a – knowing the Phillies, they probably have somebody, you know, lower in the draft who's going to get, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars and, and wind up being a pretty good player a couple of years from now.
0: The most interesting team in the National League East, in terms of their draft, is the Nationals. Uh, they picked the highest, and they picked uh, t- three times in the first 34 picks – uh, they picked three Boris Corporation clients with those three picks, correct? Rendon, Meyer, and Brian Goodwin?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. because they have
0: Matt Perk, and they have their fourth-rounder, Kylan Turnbulls, unsigned. And when you look down, they have some other guys who are, you know, interesting uh, insurance cases. Guys like Houghton Buchanan and Josh Laxer, who were uh, two of the best high school pitchers in the state of Mississippi. Uh, kind of interesting uh, guys like a Calvin Drummond or a Josh Tobias or Derek Bleeker, even that. Brett Moon. they have interesting guys throughout their entire draft list, Jim. But let's start at the top. We expect Rendon, Meyer, and Goodwin to sign, correct?
1: Yes. And again, I decided I don't know why I'm Mister Over/Under today. I would put the over/under <laughs> on those three guys combined. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go nine million dollars there for you, John. Are you, are you going over or under nine million dollars? I'm going over. And I think you might be right. I mean, I don't mean mean this in any other way except for
0: Mike Rizzo has dealt with the Boards Corporation for a long time. And uh, whether it's Steven Drew or Max Scherzer or whoever, I'm sure there are others. Those guys got paid. And Alex Meyer, there's no way he's signing for anything less than $2 million. Uh, Rendon, I think, expects to be treated like the number one college hitter in this draft. And so that's what what did uh, Dustin Ackley get two years ago? Six million
1: dollars. What did Evan Longoria get? What did Evan Longoria
0: get in two thousand six? Well, he got more of a straight bonus. Okay, uh, well he's gonna Ackley get get got six
1: million dollar bonus a seven and seven half million dollar contract.
0: Yeah, he's going to get closer to Ackley, and then uh, and, and then Brian Goodwin. I mean, Brian Goodwin actually has leverage. You know, he <clears throat> excuse me, he could go to South Carolina next year, two time defending national champions. And he could go there and replace Jackie Bradley Jr. and be right back in the draft next year. Uh, Brian Goodwin has leverage, so he's going to get paid, I think. So I think they're going to spend – and I don't expect Matt Perk to get signed myself. So I think the Nationals are going to load up on those first three picks, and
1: I'm going to go over your $9 million. Okay. Maybe I should have set that at 10. And I think you're right <laughs> on Perk. I just think – you know, the, 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 we, we've gone over the Matt Perk story before. But, you know, guy got offered $6 million by the Rangers, which MLB wouldn't approve because the team was in a financial mess at the time. Goes to TCU, has a great freshman year, takes him to Omaha. Comes out this year, you know, right, right behind Cole and Rendon on our preseason draft list. And had shoulder issues. Some guys don't like the slinging delivery. Um, you know, didn't build up his arm strength because he didn't pitch a lot in the offseason. And, and his stuff was down. And so goes in the third round. And and I just think with Matt, I just think he's such a competitive kid that I don't think he's going to sign for less than the $6 million. Uh, I think it would have to be very close to the $6 million he got offered out of high school. And I'm not saying that's a realistic expectation to get the six. Correct. I just think that you're talking to people who know Matt Perk, that his attitude, he's so competitive, will be, you know what? You know, I'm worth six. I think I think his dad has very strong opinions as to what Matt's worth. And I think they feel that's his true worth. And if he doesn't get it, You know, he's a draft-eligible sophomore. He's not a junior. Fine. I'll go back to school. I'll be 100% physically next year, and I'll go 1-1 in next year's draft and get my six. You know, which is, I mean, again, I mean, that's a lot that has to happen to make that go right. But in a way, I I kind of admire the competitive spirit. I, I think the Nationals, to be honest, I think they legitimately drafted him with the intention of signing him. I don't think this is a, hey, we're trying to leverage the guys ahead of him or we're trying to leverage Matt I think that you know. I don't know what they're going to wind up offering him. I wouldn't be surprised if they offered him, you know, two something. You know, it's been con- he hasn't pitched this summer. He's just worked out, and they've seen his workouts. But I-, I just don't think he's shown enough to get what he wants this year. And I don't think he's the type of guy who's going to settle for less.
0: Completely agree. I think you I, th- I think you're. Uh, you're. I mean, hey, all that said, he still could sign. But if I'm Matt Perk and I'm looking at all these reports out of the Cape Cod League and summer college leagues and seeing how the two thousand twelve draft class doesn't look
1: as strong as the two thousand eleven, I'd I'd bet on me. I would yeah, bet I, think on, I would bet on Matt Burke. Yeah. And, and I think you know, you mentioned Buch- Hunt and Buchanan and Buchan and Josh Laxer, a couple of Mississippi pitchers drafted in the nineteenth and twentieth round. To me, I think yeah, and the Nationals have done this in the past couple of years when they've drafted guys like Strasburg and, and Brian Harper. I think those guys are backup plans. If something falls yep. through with one of these guys, yep. you know, in the, in the you know good Rendon, Meyer, or Goodwin, then they'll use that money to go get Get those guys. You know, when they didn't sign Aaron Crow a few years ago, they spent on J.P. Ramirez. And, exactly. You know, the other guy you asked about was Kylan Turnbull in the fourth round. He's another one of these guys that I think the Nationals have offered slot, and it's like you can have slot or you can have slot. And right now <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's a junior college sophomore who's committed to Oregon, and I don't think he's going to sign for slots. So that just comes down to, you know, how much they're willing to raise their offer between now and, and Monday night. I just, you know, the, other, the other factor there, a small factor, is a lot of these college
0: commitments – are made with the with the assistant coach or the recruiting coordinator. Um, and that at Oregon was Andrew Checkets when Kylan Turnbull made that, and that is no longer Andrew Checkets. He's no longer with the Ducks. He's the head coach at UC Riverside, if, if memory serves, not Riverside, Santa Barbara. So I just wonder if that will factor in. I'm sure the Nationals know that, and maybe that's why he's being offered slot or slot. Uh, just also wanted to note this was a huge year in the draft in Mississippi, And all those top guys in Mississippi out of the high schools there. That was a great year for high school baseball in Mississippi. And Connor Barron's unsigned. Brandon Woodruff's unsigned. Sanquez Golson's unsigned. The only guy who signed.
1: I don't think any of those guys are necessarily going to sign either.
0: I think all three of those guys are likely to go to college. Houghton Buchanan's unsigned. Josh Laxer. Mason Robbins. All those guys may not sign. It is crazy. Uh, Word got out in the state of Mississippi. Um, Let's go real quick to the National League Central, Jim. A lot of rumors with the Chicago Cubs uh, because the Cubs have money, but they've got. Uh, so they finally announced Trevor Gretzky?
1: I guess, huh? Yeah, you know it's weird. It's, you know, we we've been talking about that one. You know for about a month. You know it, there was a story. Bob Elliott in the Toronto paper talked to Tony Gwynn. Trevor Gretzky was going. To, you know Wayne's son, obviously. It was going to San Diego State, and Tony Gwynn told Bob Elliott. Seems like it was about three years ago, but I think it was more like three weeks ago that Trevor <laughs> Gretzky told them he was signing, and then MLB.com. Which report you know reports all the transactions actually should. Trevor Gretzky signing on July twenty second. Well, <laughs> the only thing was it, well, the weird thing about that was he never showed. MLB sends out a spreadsheet to teams every day during the week that shows what every bonus is in the first ten rounds, and they highlight the new signings. Trevor Gretzky never showed up on that spreadsheet until yesterday, like three weeks later, and. Similarly, MLB has this internal contract system that the teams can all access to look up bonus information or major league contract information. And Trevor Gretzky never wound his way into that. So we've been wondering for three weeks, you know, how much money did he get that they are keeping this, you know, so top secret? And it was three seventy-five. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what all, what all the secretive nature of, of hiding his three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars bonus was. But we we now know that Trevor Gretzky got got signed for three hundred seventy-five thousand. And I think. I think, actually, John, that may be my most retweeted tweet ever. <laughs> like when I tweeted last night that he signed for 375000 I think that's been retweeted like 75 times. Um, and it's not just Cubs fans. And you know, maybe I got a boost because Keith Olbermann retweeted it, so I got his followers. Re- but it's like I've, I've gotten uh, you know, a trillion retweets from Trevor Gretzky's bonus. You mean you got more on that than on Eric Haas? I can't believe that. I, I did. Well, Eric Haas is just fresh this morning. You know, and, the, and the funny thing about Gretzky. Well, again, teams like who they like. You know, we, we kind of build a consensus. You know, we're not scouts. We talked to a bunch of people, kind of build a consensus. Our reports on Trevor Gretzky were, you know, interesting, you know, six foot four, lean body, power potential, but, you know, kind of a really work in progress, needs to go to school. I, I don't think we saw him as, as, as anywhere really near the same kind of player the Cubs saw him as.
0: Yeah, pretty interesting. Now they have unsigned first rounder Javier Baez committed to Jacksonville. That's a weird one.
1: I, I don't think any of us expe- – do you expect him to go to school? Any chance he's going to go to school? I don't think there's any chance. I mean, here's the interesting about that one. I mean, I like Javier Baez a lot. Best Me bat too. speed in the draft. Very intriguing. Uh, you know, if you want to do a real superficial comparison, you know, Florida high school shortstop with great bat speed. You know, you can throw Gary Sheffield out there. I'm not saying he's Gary Sheffield. But, I mean, really exciting bat. This guy's very interesting. That said – I don't think he was going any higher than number nine in the draft. Right. You know, it's possible there may have been teams. This happens all the time. You know, you you're not supposed to talk money. You know, the players aren't supposed to talk money for NCAA rules. Teams aren't supposed to talk money with players before the draft. You know, yeah, right. That never happens. Right. It's possible somebody behind the Cubs was, you know, making some promises to Javier Baez if he got to him. But I'm that. That's almost a deal that surprised me that the Cubs, when they took him, didn't know. Okay, this is what it's going to cost. But right. My understanding on that one is is the Cubs have a bunch of unsigned players and that you, know, you look at the major league team, you look at some of the Cubs draft signings when the Cubs want a guy, they pay for him. You know, the okay. money doesn't seem to be an object. And I think that's more a situation where bias has been told you're going to get taken care of. It's just going to have to happen, you know, in the last couple of days before the
0: That's just one where I, you know, again, from the college baseball standpoint, so I don't oh, think they're go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I was just going to say, I, I think, you know, he'll get done. It's just, it's, you know, I don't think a whole lot has been done on it yet.
0: I sure would love to see. Uh, I would love to see him uh, with Dan Gruel, Branson, and uh, uh, Adam Brad Adam Red Walker. Red Walker. That would be that would be
1: a really be exciting
0: team. Yeah, imagine that, those three hitters in the Atlantic Sun, even with the BB core bats. Dan Vogelbaum, <laughs> their second rounder, Vogelbach, the big first baseman. We think he's
1: a done deal. Correct. Yeah, I mean it's. I'm not going to give I'll away the, the number. It's tested. been an open secret in the industry that he had a big number he was asking for mid-first round money, uh, going into the draft, and I think everybody in baseball believes that the Cubs agreed to pay him that number very early on in the process. So he he's going to sign. It's just you know my guess is given the nature of how much money he's going to get. Yeah, you know, it won't be officially the, – the curtain won't be pulled back on that one until sometime Monday afternoon or evening. I guess the big questions for the Cubs
0: seem to be um, Sean Dunston Jr., whom you've tweeted with, your Twitter buddy, Dylan, <laughs> Dylan Maples in the 14th round, who I'm interested in because uh, he's committed to uh, play locally here in North Carolina. He's a North Carolina high school kid. Um and also has a football scholarship to North Carolina, which why anyone we want to go play football there right now? I don't know. Um, what do you hear on those high school guys with the with the
1: Cubs? I think they could go either way. Um, early in the summer, I, I thought Dunstan was more of a done deal than I think apparently he is. I, I think that could go either way. You know, I mean, he's in a great situation. I mean, obviously, you know, his father made a lot of money playing Major League Baseball. So it's not like the family needs the money. And he's either going to get a sizable bonus to go play for the team that drafted his dad, number one overall in 1982, or he's going to go to Vanderbilt. And, you know, to me, that's a win-win situation. I think Dylan Maples is kind of the same thing. Dylan Maples is either going to get a huge bonus or he's going to go to UNC for three years. Um, So, uh, you know, again, I think some of that comes down to what the Cubs do and you know, exactly how much Javier Baez costs them. They're going to get Tony Zick done in the fourth round. That's another college junior, you know, who right. you have to go slow on. Taylor Dugas, uh, I, I've heard Dugas. more. Uh, come Dugas, on, sorry. man. Dugas. D- Seinfeld uh, <laughs> reference. Prognosis negative on that one. Um, I think Daniel Lockhart probably signs. Uh, Keith Lockhart's son, the ex big leaguer. I think with Dunston and Maples, it could be, you know, just you know that, that you know I don't think either one of those guys is going to be real cheap. You know, it, it, I don't know the numbers involved. It might be. They might be seven-figure bonus guys to sign them, and it just comes down to a matter of, of how much money they have left at that point. And like we were talking about with Garrett Cole, and you know, Sean Dunstan's at Vanderbilt right now. Um, you know, He may be a little bit more tied to Vanderbilt than he would have been if, if the signing deadline was July 15th, and you had to make a decision then. So, so we'll see. I, I'd i be really surprised if the Cubs signed both of them. Okay. They may get one of them, but, but I, I just think both those guys could go either way.
0: Okay. Um, the Reds, really unless they go crazy on Amir Garrett, the St. John's basketball recruit, and a personal cheese ball of mine, also, their, their really decision this weekend is Robert Stevenson. And logically, Robert Stevenson seems fairly tied into the high school pitcher drafted two spots ahead of him and Joe Ross with the Padres. So are the Reds even really 100% in control of that negotiation, considering that? Stevenson's number might, uh, just logically, will probably depend a lot on what the
1: other California high school pitcher taking two spots ahead of him gets. Yes and no, because it's it's like you know this isn't arbitration. That's why I always think MLB sweats this stuff too much about oh one deal's going to affect another. I mean, it may affect what guys ask for. Good point. But you know, Joe Ross, we're here. You know, we're here, and he's getting offered two and a half million dollars. If I'm representing Robert Stevenson. I'd love to tie myself to Joe Ross if Joe Ross is getting an offer two and a half million dollars, and I think they're comparable. The flip side is, uh, what if Joe Ross was signing for slot? Well, then if I'm Robert Stevenson, I don't necessarily want to tie myself to, to to Joe Ross as much. And so, if Joe Ross gets you know a number that begins with a two, you know, I'm going to raise my hand for Robert Stevenson. To say we'd like that also. And if I'm the Reds, I'm saying, well, wait a minute, we didn't sign Joe Ross. So, uh, but again, all that said, I think he's going to sign. I'm sure you know the high school players have extra leverage because they can go to school. Uh, I would suspect he'll get over slot. We'll see what the number is. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the number began with a two, You know, even though the Reds aren't exactly the most liberal spenders, but but we'll see on that one. And, and you're right. I don't, I, don't, I don't think Amir Garrett is a guy who's going to sign. I think he's just going to be basketball only at St. John's. And I don't think they have another, another guy they're going to throw a lot of money at uh, in the next few days. The Houston Astros, Jim, maybe they need the help a little bit less now than they used
0: to before they traded their, and their team for a bunch of prospects. But as we've said earlier, an organization that needs the help in their minor league system and some, I wouldn't say acrimonious, but you had the George Springer, uh, your first rounder, his dalliance with the Atlantic League. You've got Jack Armstrong Jr. at three.
1: What are the chances they sign both those guys? You expect both those guys to sign? I expect Springer to sign. I mean, it you know, created this big hole blue when he – you know, oh, George and his dad are, are talking to the Long Island Ducks, which had absolutely no bearing on his negotiations. Right. I mean, all that's telling me is he doesn't plan on going back to Connecticut for his senior year. Right. Um, it, you know, He could have signed with Long Island Ducks, and the deadline would still apply. He's going to sign. I, I think they were looking for huge money, um, and I don't think he's going to get crazy money. Um, you know, I mean, he's a guy we had, I want to say, John ranked fourth behind Cole, you know, Rendon Cole Perk at the top of our draft board going into going into the year. And, you know, he didn't quite go in that tier of the draft. He's going to sign. I'm sure it'll be over slot. Um, I don't know what's going on with Jack Armstrong, to be honest with you. I, I don't have a read on that. Um, you know, Houston's got a new owner coming in, so you don't know how aggressive he's going to be about going over slot. I, I don't think they've gone over slot for a guy yet. Um, they, they will for Springer Armstrong's a guy who at times looks like a first round pick. He's had injury issues. He didn't pitch a lot at Vanderbilt this spring. Uh, I, you know, on him, I think it comes down to what he's asking for. I, to me, he went 99th overall in the draft. It's probably about where Jack Armstrong should have gone. And he he really didn't pitch that much this year either. Yeah, I'd Um, say you're giving him too much credit. I think that's, I I thought that was. I mean, he's been very good in the Cape at times. But yeah, so anyway, I mean, it wasn't like he fell in the draft. I mean, that's that's about where he deserved to go. Right. And while I'd say, okay, he's slottable, you know, at 99, you know, and the slot at 99 is $335,700, okay, that slot's artificially low. We've talked about that. The slot, you know, really, in realistic, should be more like 450. I don't know whether Jack Armstrong would sign for 450 or not. And I, and I can't imagine the Astros giving him 750 or a million. I, I just – if I had to guess, and I'm just guessing on Jack Armstrong, I'd say he might be one of the third-rounders who doesn't sign. I, I, I think you're – I think that's accurate. I think that's fair. I think there's a good chance he does not
0: sign. Uh, Milwaukee, we've already talked a little bit about Taylor Youngman and Jed Bradley. It seems like those are the really that, – that's it for them. I mean, they've got a couple other high school guys they could maybe sign – uh, they're in the middle teens. Uh, Carlos Rodon, a left-hander, here at a locally at a Raleigh. Uh, Chris McFarlane, the kid, who's, that's a little bit of an interesting story. Uh, you know, what's going on in your mind uh, with the Brewers? Uh, should Brewers fans worry that they're going to maybe uh, not? Uh, and, and I guess the other question is, is Trent Boras really one
1: of their fallback guys there in the 22nd round?
0: No, I don't years? think I'd I, I be. I'd be a
1: little surprised. I know it was. I'd be a little surprised if Scott let his son sign for. Yeah. Hundred and fifty thousand dollars in thirtieth round rather than go to college. <laughs> um, but uh, no I think they'll get Youngman and Bradley done and I you know, they they just went over slot recently to get their second rounder Orge Lopez and their fifth rounder, Michael Reed. And, you know, they might go for Rodon or McFarland or maybe Amario uh, Mario Amaral, but, uh, you know, I think those are, are more fallback guys. You know, maybe they sign one of those guys, but I think they'll eventually get Youngman and Bradley done. And one other name I was going to throw out real quick for Houston, yeah. 14th rounder, Gandy Stubblefield's a real interesting, projectable Texas high school pitcher who's had a good summer. I think he's going to be very tough to sign away from Texas A&M, but keep an eye on him. You know, if he might be a guy, if for some reason the stuff broke down with George Springer, that they might throw money at Gandhi Stubblefield. And maybe okay. maybe they'll do it anyway. If they don't sign, you know, they'll, they'll use some of Jack Armstrong's money. Who knows?
0: That that's a good name to that's a good name to throw out there. Um, the Pirates Jim picked first overall. I think we all expect Garrett Cole to get done. Um so they have some other guys down the line who might be backup type guys. They hit Alabama hard with Clay Holmes and Joel Bennett. Um, and some other interesting names in their draft list. The Aaron Brown kid who's had a great summer in the California Collegiate League. But it seems like all you've been asked about with them is the, you know, the however many – maybe the $11 million, the $10 million question with the, with Josh Bell, their second-round pick. What What's your take on Josh Bell real quick? I guess if you want to touch on Cole, but he's like Josh Bell's the guy that all the Pirates fans are really interested in.
1: Yeah, Cole's going to sign. He's going to get a big league deal, and it's – I might be light on my over/under. I, I think it'll be around seven and a half million dollars. You know, they may be shooting for closer to ten. He, he's going to sign. Um, I just don't think. You know, I, I get asked a question like you said all the time. I don't think Josh Bell's signable. I've had guys telling me they don't think he's signable if you offered him fifteen or twenty million dollars. His mom's a college professor at Texas Arlington. She wants him to go to Texas. I, I believe the letter that they wrote to teams saying he did not intend to sign was sincere. Is interesting that he does have the Boris Corporation as an advisor um, if you have no intention of signing. But, yeah, you know, I'm sure they're going to – I love the pick by the Pirates because to me, Josh Bell, you could argue that he is the best offensive ceiling of anybody in the draft. You know, he's in that discussion. He should have gone in the middle of the first round based on talent. I love taking him at 61, and if you don't sign him, the worst thing that happens is you get the 62nd pick in next year's draft. So I, I love that gamble. They did it, Pirates did it last year with Stetson Alley and signed him. Did a couple of years ago with Tanner Shepherds, and it didn't pay off in that case because he wasn't healthy enough to sign at the end of the summer. But, but I like that strategy. This is, a, this is a team making good use of the new compensation rules. You take, you, you take a shot at a great player who shouldn't be there, and if you don't get him, you don't get him. I don't think they're going to get him. I, the, the, the other complicating factor with this too is – I mean <laughs> let's say he'd sign for $10 million. You know, my, my oldest son, AJ, and I always talk about if you know how much I would let him sign for because I believe in going to college. <laughs> if if AJ was a big draft prospect and like I'm always telling him, you know, look, well, he, got I've got... he got his J bands. He got his J Jim. So you never know. He, he, yeah, but he's been lazy. He needs to start to start using his his long <laughs> get on the long toss regimen. But anyway, <laughs> AJ and I have to digress here for a second, we talk about this and I tell him, you know, he's like, would you let me sign for two million dollars? I'm like, you know, I've got I've got AJ's my oldest of four kids who are going to start going to college soon. And I'm explaining to him, you know, two million dollars. It's not like you never work another day in your life. You know, I I don't think two million dollars, you know, sets you for life. You know, I I wouldn't necessarily say two million. Okay, we're definitely in. So AJ's is going to be unsignable. Everybody can know that now. Uh, <laughs> but but it's like five is kind of the number. I was kind of you know, we of like you know, well five <laughs> five million. I'd be I'd be hard for me to tell you to turn down. So anyway, I think that's awesome Bell. that you guys have a number for AJ. Well, We talk about signability. Well, yeah, I we mean. <laughs> It would help if he was on the high school team to start with. But anyway, uh, getting back to Josh Bell. So let's say I'll just and I have no idea what his. I mean, there's there's got to be a number he would sign for. Everybody has a number. Let's say Josh Bell's number is ten million dollars. Yeah. I, I have no idea. And I, I, I've had people tell me they don't think he'd sign for ten. If Josh Bell's number is ten million dollars, here's the problem. One, I don't think the Pirates are going to offer him ten million dollars. That would amaze me. I love Josh Bell, but I would. I would. That would amaze me. It would probably kill Bud Selig. Bud Selig <laughs> would would probably die if that deal got announced. He'd choke on his hot but dog. But two, but two. Yeah, when he's at the custard stand. Two, Josh Bell has the same agent as Garrett Cole, and there is no way, no way, Scott Boris is going to let Josh Bell. In the second round, get more money than the number one overall pick in the draft. So if you're going to pay Josh Bell $10 million, and this is just all speculative, right? you're going to have to give Garrett Cole like twelve and a half. million. And, and the Pirates have been as aggressive as anybody since Frank Coonley's been there in the draft. You know, and the great irony of that, of course, is Frank Coonley's <laughs> former job with MLB was to tell <laughs> administer the draft program and tell teams why they were crazy for going over slot, which he obviously – his tune has changed now that he's with the small revenue Pirates. But anyway – you know, again, this is all speculative. I just can't see any way they get both. I don't think they can give Josh Bell a number high enough to sign without having to give Garrett Cole more than that. And I really don't think the Pirates, as aggressive as they've been, are going to go to something like 20 or $22 million to sign the top two picks in their draft. That's what I was about
0: to say. That would be amazing if Frank Coonley is the executive who oversees a team that gives team, that, that spends approximately
1: $25 million on a draft class. That yeah, and that's one. I mean, we'd probably see, you know, you know, MLB would, like, get an assassin on retainer and start taking people out. <laughs> you know, so anyway, aside from Josh Bell, I think what the Pirates are going to do, I don't think they're going to sign Josh Bell. I think they're going to treat Clay Holmes, who you mentioned, in the ninth round, as their second round pick. And I think Clay Holmes is going to get a sizable bonus and he'll sign, uh, before the deadline on Monday.
0: Okay. Um, wrapping up the NL central, this podcast is getting longer than last year's, but uh, that's okay. Uh, Charlie Tilson and the Cardinals, Jim, Charlie Tilson is the highest unsigned pick with the Cardinals. He's a Chicago lander. He's a guy you actually went out to go see this year. You had your parka on and you went you, uh, went out to go check him out. Uh, First of all, how would A.J. pitch Charlie Tilson And two, is he going to
1: sign, or is there anybody else the Cardinals might sign here later at the deadline? Uh, I think A.J., who goes to Charlie's high school, would go after him with a high fastball. Try, <laughs> try to go after him with a high fastball and then maybe set him up for a slider. But, uh, right. you know, he's pretty much the only guy left for the Cardinals at this point. I think he's going to sign. I think the final issue is going to be, you know, he was their second-round pick. They gave Colton Wong $1.3 million as the 22nd overall pick in the first round. And I think you may have a little. You know, a lot of teams are very cognizant of what they pay their first rounder, and try not to pay somebody more than him. So I think, you know, I think he's going to come in around Colton Wong's bonus. It's just a matter: does he get a little bit more, a little bit less? But I think Charlie Tilson is going to wind up signing. Again, you know, if he gets that kind of bonus, we we probably won't have it officially until Monday night. And I, I don't think. I don't think there's anybody else that they're really, you know, the hot after. You know, if they didn't sign Charlie Tilson, you know, maybe they'd give money to like a Brett Graves in the 26th round or Aramis Garcia in the 20th round. You know, it, it, one of those type of deals, but it wouldn't be the, you know, they'd have a little money burning a hole in their pocket.
0: Gotcha. It's the Baseball America podcast with John Ejim. Uh Diamondbacks Jim, the only team in the first <laughs> nine picks that's got a first rounder signed uh, in with Trevor Bauer, but they still have an unsigned player. Um, and Archie Bradley, who, judging by his Twitter, is very bored with not being signed. Uh, you got Andrew Chafin. they got a lot of unsigned <laughs> This is such a ticks. stupid process. Yes, it's a, it's a horrible it's, – it's a horrible process. I mean, nobody they in the did sign is going to tell
1: you it's a good process. They did sign Anthony Mayo yesterday for 625. But, you know, they have a bunch of question marks here. And it's, it'll be you – know, I think they're going to aggressively go after – they're going to sign Archie Bradley. In my mind, he's a better prospect than Zach Lee was another high school right-hander slash college quarterback prospect? Last year, got five point two five million from the Dodgers. I like Zach Lee. Archie Bradley is a better prospect. That's a great comparison. Uh, that's a tremendous. You know, I may be comparison. low on these guys. So, to me, if Zach Lee's worth five point two five, and again, this isn't arbitration. Archie Bradley's worth at least six. I mean, Archie Bradley. Who knows what Archie Bradley will get? You know, that'll be interesting because Trevor Bauer got a big league deal with four point four five million in guarantees, but a very good chance to earn seven million. My guess is, is I'll try to bring Archie definitely in under seven. If I had to guess on Archie Bradley, I'd guess six to six and a half on him. I think that's um, a good guess.
0: I like that. I, I mean, th- it's, that makes a lot of sense. Somewhere between
1: Trevor Bauer and Zach Lee. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. So I think that's what going on. And with the other guys, you know, there's the – I do know that they, I've talked to Dimebacks. They're going to be aggressive going after players, but I don't think they've made a lot of progress. You know, Andrew Chafin's interesting in the sandwich round because he's yep. a draft-eligible sophomore because he yep. missed a year with Tommy John surgery. And I like Andrew Chafin a lot. You know, He had a very good year, tired a little bit toward the end because he was coming back from Tommy John. And he, I mean, he was pretty much money for the first two-thirds of the season going seven, eight innings every Friday, you know, giving up about one run. And while he did go 43rd overall, and that's obviously a very lofty draft position, at the same time... Andrew Chafin could come back next year as a junior and have a lot of leverage. And, I mean, John, do you think it's – I mean, I, I don't know what will happen with him. I think he could go either way. I don't think it's impossible that Andrew Chafin could go in the top 15 picks next year if he comes back fully healthy. I, I
0: completely agree. And then it's also very possible that a guy with his delivery uh, and and the injuries he's already had in his past could go to this northern school in the MAC. And if you have any slip-up, even if you just have one or two bad starts in the MAC. That'll be magnified if you have any physical setbacks. Like he didn't he have a physical setback
1: this year? He got a tired arm because he you know he made like ten right. consecutive starts. Yeah, yeah, but that's
0: exactly so you're that's talking I'm saying, about. So, so I agree completely with you. He has the upside where he
1: could go in the first ten or
0: fifteen picks next year. It's just risky for him. And if you right, uh, and it, I wouldn't fault him for betting on himself, but boy, that's a big risk. It's a bigger risk for him, I think, than it is for Matt
1: Perk. Right, and, and then to, to again, so get, with him, I mean, I think he'll sign because again. When you take a guy that high in the draft, like we were just talking about Charlie Tilson, you know who had a big price tag. T- when you take a guy in the top couple rounds, you're, you're, the team is usually prepared to pay him. You know, like we're talking about all these first-round picks, the eight guys who haven't signed in the last few years. About half of those guys weren't even money decisions; it was goofy stuff. So usually, when you take a guy at the top of the draft, you're prepared to pay him. So my guess is he'll sign. Although it wouldn't shock me if he went back. You know, you, then they got a bunch of guys in the you know five through ten. I don't think they're real close with Michael Perez right now, high school catcher from Puerto Rico. Right. Um, Matt Price from South Carolina. He's another draft eligible sophomore, right, John? Oh yeah, absolutely. And he, I think you he's going to be a very tough sign
0: because I, I think, think he a may chance, go back. There's a chance that Matt Price, as good as he's been as a closer in college, and he's been outrageously good. Uh, to me, he's like the Mario Rivera of college baseball. He could start for them next year. They've talked for the last two years about Matt Price being in their rotation at South Carolina, and it would not shock me if he went in the rotation next year and that that's their selling point. A, Ray Tanner holds on to his players in the draft very well. B, Matt Price, they could be telling Matt Price, we're going to be make you our Friday night guy.
1: We'll put four scoops in the Come bullpen, on. and he could pitch himself into the first three rounds. You're right, and I, and I was just going to say, make the same point about Ray Tanner. Uh, guys love to play for Ray Tanner. I, I think there's a good chance Matt Price goes back to South Carolina. I think so, too. You know, and Ben Roberts is kind of the Montana version of uh, of Wyoming's Brandon Nimmo. I don't think that one's super close yet. You know, we'll, we'll see on that one. You know, he, he's supposed to go to Washington State, and then Kyle Winkler. You know, there were reports a couple days ago he'd agreed to terms, pending a physical, and he he had some issues at the end of the season, had a stress fracture uh, in, in his arm, and well, that physical is supposed to be a couple of days ago, and we still haven't heard that he's signed yet. So I don't know. You know, he's supposed to sign, but I'm not sure what the holdup is on that one right now. I guess we'll find out about that, you know, fairly soon, I would think. And um, so those are their main guys. You know, again, I think, you know, they'll they'll definitely get Bradley and Chaffin done. I think they're going to try to be aggressive. Um, I don't know if they have a late round guy that they're really going to go after big if they don't sign one of the top guys. You know, maybe a Michael Cedaroth in the 41st round. But I, I think Cedaroth is probably their best late round pick, but I think he's headed for school. The Baseball America podcast with John and Jim. Let's wrap up the National
0: League and then we'll do a two parter, Jim, because we've gone long. We'll do a two parter with the American League as a separate podcast. Uh, the Rockies, I-, I can't imagine that Tyler Anderson and Peter O'Brien or Ross Stripling. Uh, Ross Stripling says he's going back to school, right? But I can't imagine those first two guys, Anderson and O'Brien, are going to be difficult signs. Is there anybody they've got lying out there in the weeds they might go high on? I guess, and have you heard anything on the status of Preston Tucker there in the 16th round for them?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, Anderson is one of these, you know, the the second or third tier college pitchers in the first round, waiting to see what guys sign for, been offered slot. Uh, Peter O'Brien, college junior, third round, my guess is he's been offered slot, and and those guys will eventually sign. I think Stripling's probably headed back to Texas A&M at this point. Uh, you know, I, mean, I was talking to somebody about Tucker. I, I think Tucker goes back to Florida. I, I, the that's he's...
0: crazy to me, Jim. That is just crazy. How, first of all, how does Florida have the scholarship money? Because they're recruiting classes every year are awesome. Second of all, this guy can play. I, I Preston Tucker, I've I'm, I'm never been as high on him as Aaron Fit was. I know he had a bad cape. But that guy's got raw power. He's got what you look for. Um, you, you're looking for a carrying tool. He has it. Uh nobody hit a ball as far as he did at the Cobold series this year. He was a man in the NCAA postseason for Florida. He was the best hitter in their lineup. Uh, that 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 postseason for him turned me on Preston Tucker. Uh I, I, I like to see players who are at their best at the most important time of year. And uh I'm surprised that he would go back to school. What does he got that what can he possibly prove at Florida next year?
1: I, you know, I don't know what more he can prove and I, and I was gonna say the same things you did. Had a terrible K play last year, which you know hurt him in the eyes of the big Scouting Brass. You know, had a slow start and then he was so good in the postseason this year. Problem I think, and this is why it lasts till the sixteenth round, is there's mixed opinions on him and he's looking for sandwich round money. I think he's I just tr- don't know.
0: go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: I was just saying, I just don't know if the Rockies are gonna give it to him. That's what the problem is. I I think you know, it's gonna take at least bottom of the sandwich round money, six hundred thousand plus to sign him. And I'm not sure they're going to give it to him. You know,
0: not than, Not a lot you know. of players in the SEC finish with a 5.45 slugging percentage. And he produced this year. And he walks as much as he strikes out. I like, I, I've i come around on Preston Tucker. Not as much as Aaron Phipp. But I know Aaron Phil will be shocked when he listens to this podcast, which I'm sure he'll do during his sister's wedding this weekend. But um, I bet you he'll be surprised at how much I've warmed on Preston Tucker. But he was – he was pretty impressive. He took—I just saw him take a great BP before the first game in Omaha, and then take that into the games. And I was—I was impressed at how locked in that guy was. The Dodgers. You know, he's a guy.
1: Go ahead. We got to mention with Preston Tucker. You know who the area scout is on Preston Tucker? I do know who the area scout is. Our own Alan it's Matthews, it's our old colleague Alan Matthews. So we're, we're rooting to... for a Prestor, Prestor Tucker sign, Preston that's, Tucker. Preston that,
0: That's not why I've turned. I will say that. <laughs> uh, I actually have not talked to Alan about Preston Tucker. I try not to talk about uh, that stuff with Alan. Uh, very excited for Allen to get Charlie Blackman of the big leagues this year. Shout out to Allen on that. Uh, let's go to the Dodgers. Chris Reed, Ryan O'Sullivan. Uh, you know, we know the Dodgers' financial situation. Is there anybody the Dodgers are going to go crazy on here late, Jim, or are they just going to have to
1: sign these guys for a slightly above slot because they're college juniors? Well, yeah, you know the Dodgers, their situation aren't, don't have a lot of flexibility. Chris Reed's going to sign today, I think. And I think he's going to get... A little bit more money than Sonny Gray got. Two picks behind him. That's Sonny Gray stunning. got four. four. That is stunning, um, isn't it? No,
0: I mean, was Chris Reed really going to go back to Stanford? But I'm just saying, though, that he if you, at the start of the
1: draft, Jim, if you said Chris Reed was going to get more money oh, yeah. than Sonny Gray, that, uh, would I, 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 yeah, I, yes, yes, I see what you're saying. I thought you were saying it was stunning he was going to sign. I like yeah, Chris. I, I, Re- I like Chris Reed, but I mean, like, I'm just stunned that he there's... got
0: more than Sonny Gray.
1: There, there are a lot of agents out there who have college pitchers who are not excited that Sonny Grace signed for 118000 over slot. But that was a case where I think the team knew Sonny very well. Sonny's extremely competitive. And they put the carrot of you sign now, you signed a couple weeks ago, and we'll get you to double A before the end of the season, and you'll be in great shape to make the big league team at some point next year. Right. And, then, you know, it's like we're talking, you know, Sonny's another guy who bet on himself, right? You know, he's hey, held sonny. out for three weeks and probably gotten closer to yeah. one point eight two million dollars. But sonny would rather, you know, you know Sonny Gray, he wants to compete. I love and Sonny he, Gray. Yeah, and I, th- and so I, sonny, I hope yeah. people, I hope that people, when they
0: think of Sonny Gray, that the first two things they think of is that he got less money than Chris Reed, and that Vanderbilt left him out too long in the Cowboys Series, and he and he blew that game in the eighth inning against, uh, I guess it was Florida, because. Sonny, that day, his compete tool was on full display and for the best and the worst reasons. He did not have his best stuff that day or his best command, but he kept his team in the game for seven innings. And I, I'm rooting for Sonny Gray big time, and I want people to think I, – I want expectations for Sonny Gray to be high because whatever people's expectations for Sonny are, his are higher. But I just can't believe that in the end he's going to sign for less than Chris Reed. It's it's just – it's crazy. Well, you yeah, know, again,
1: it's the system, John. I know. Because he signed first. The guy who signs last gets more money. So anyway, what a um, they'll get system. Chris Reed done today, I think, for somewhere, you know, a little bit north of Sunny at one point five four million. And that might be it for the Dodgers. I, I don't know that they're gonna be able to sign Ryan O'Sullivan in the fourth round or Jamal Moore in the tenth round. And uh, you know, I, I just don't know if they have any more, you know, anything else left in their wallet after they pay uh, Chris Reed. That might be it. So is Ryan O'Sullivan gonna be our top
0: prospect at NAIA next year? Is that what you're telling me? He's really going back to school. <sighs>
1: um <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Well, he's been at what? I mean, he started at San Diego State, and he was going to transfer to. You know, he had granted the, I guess, what academic problems there was going to transfer to Florida International. Couldn't get in there academically, so he transferred to Oklahoma City, an NAIA program. But there's some kind of. Yeah. Trans- I, I never realized this before this year. You know, there's a transfer. You have to get a release when you transfer an athletic release. You know, from an NA, NCAA school to NCAA school. Which you obviously don't to go from NCAA to NAIA, but there's apparently some kind of academic transfer that he could not get going from San Diego State to Oklahoma City, so he was academically unable to pitch at Oklahoma City last year. So, right? uh, Will he be in school next year? I don't know. Uh, Will he be draft eligible next year? Probably. Better way to word it. Um, There you go. I, you know, although that said, I'm surprised this guy's really not. He's really not going to sign. Yeah. We'll we'll see, but. Sign I just don't think the I don't think the Dodgers can go over slot on him. Uh, and Sign for may slot, not Ryan. Uh, my you, advice. You would to- think. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I don't understand what would be gained, but because he didn't, he didn't pitch this year in a game. I know. but you know, again, we'll see. You know, may, maybe the Dodgers will surprise us, and you know, the slot's right at two hundred, and maybe they'll come up with some more money for him. Who knows? Uh,
0: the Padres, Jim. This might be the most watched team in the National League, isn't it? For their draft, I mean, they've got a lot riding on this draft. And they have a lot of players unsigned. Uh, Joe Ross, Michael Kelly, Brett Austin, Austin Hedges. Um, that's pretty much it for their draft. I mean, I, I guess they probably have some fallback guys later on, but over under, I'm setting the over under at two of those four signing. Are you going over or under that? Well, I think you'd have to go two and a half to really make it All right, two really and a half. I
1: said I'll go two and a half. Um,. I think they'll. I think that's a good to over/under. I would bet over. I think they'll get three done, but I think it's gonna be tough. You know, I was asking their scoundre, or their their assistant GM who helps oversee the scouting department, Jason McLeod, and I said, you know, what what is more hectic, this year's signed deadline or last year's signed deadline? Because last year's signed deadline, his yeah. wife was giving birth to twins on the deadline day, and they you know didn't sign the number nine overall pick in the draft in Carston Whitson, and they offered AJ e. Venegas you know big first round money. And didn't sign him and they uh signed John John Barbado, you got a seven figure deal. So they were <laughs> there's a lot going on. And, and and Jason said that he thought this year's signed deadline would be less hectic from a personal standpoint, but in terms of getting deals done, it might be more hectic. They they have more balls in the air right now. And, you know, we talked about Joe Ross some. You know, they it's believed they've offered him, you know, in the neighborhood of two and a half million dollars and have been turned down. Uh so you know, that one's a big number. Yeah, you know, Michael Kelly might be. Michael Kelly might be the easiest sign of the four. Okay. I, I, if I had to bet, it fully, if they, I think he's going to be the easiest of the four to sign. Brett Austin, I think, is looking for Will Myers' money, which is two million dollars, and I don't think Brett Austin's getting two million dollars from the Padres, so they might not sign him if he doesn't come down. Austin Hedges was a guy we heard from the beginning of the draft of all the, you know, top prospects coming into the year, might have been the toughest to sign, and. He is a tough sign. I don't know what his number is. I, I think he's a case, and he's he's represented or advised by Scott Boris, committed to UCLA, exceptional defensive catcher. I, I think that's a case where Austin has a number, and I don't know what that number is. And if you get to the number, he'll sign. But if you don't get to the number, he's not going to sign. So, again, if we play the over-under game, it might – we'll do some quick math here in my head. It, it might take you – Seven and a half, eight million dollars to sign all four of those players. That was it's my next question. Seven and a half million dollars might not be enough to for all four of these guys if they all hang tough on their asking price. So, we'll uh, we'll we'll see. I I bet they get at least <laughs> wow. two of them done, and maybe three. And and I think uh, a guy who's always kind of fascinated me because he's always in my draft state. I think they're going to get Birch Smith done the fourteenth round for for third round money or. Though at some point, but uh, you know those top four guys are, are where their focus is right now. Burt
0: Smith is fascinating. I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I don't know as much about him as you do, because but but he he interests me. He had a pretty up and down year this year for the for the Sooners. Big arm, yeah, he's he's interesting. And finally, in the National League, Jim, uh, the Giants. You're defending world uh, world champions. They got a couple of uh, O-State ballers hanging out there. Uh, Andrew Susak and Josh Osich, who are both interesting cases. Uh you know, I forget if Susak's an eligible sophomore or not. I know that, he is, he is yeah, that's what I thought he was. You got Ozic who's a red shirt, who's had some injury issues. Uh you know, they have a lot of unsigned guys out there. What's your what's your take on the Giants? what's left for the Giants to do for uh you know a fairly aggressive, I would say uh, scouting department or John Bar—they—they they seem like they—they'll uh, go out there and get stuff done if they want to, but they—they they definitely work on their own uh, rules. They don't—the uh, Giants have their own way of looking at the game, but they're not—they're not part of the pack. Uh, do you think they're going to get Susac and Osich done? And what about Ricky or Peza? Is he just a typical college junior above-slot guy?
1: It's going—you know—all four of those guys again are college juniors, or or Susack's a uh, sophomore. draft-eligible sophomore. So, I think that these are probably all guys who, for the most part, are being told right now, slot. I think they get Suzak done. Again, they took him in the second round. He's going to cost, you know, he's not going I, to. I, I always like Andrew Suzak is more of a first round talent, like second half of the first round talent. You know, his slot is 411. He's not going to sign for 411. I'll bet they get him done. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he got first round money. Ora Pesa. You know, he's a tough one. I mean, he's got a big tool in his power, also has a very strong arm, although it's kind of negated at first base where he needs to play. He's a Boris guy. I don't know what the expectation is on him. I mean, to me, Ricky it could have gone maybe around higher in the draft, but, you know, he's he's a guy with big power who swings and misses a lot, and he's right. limited to first base. So, you know, I don't know how much leverage he really has. I, I would think they'd get him done. You know, Osich to me is the real wild card. You know he he had Tommy John surgery, missed all of last year, got hurt again at the end of this season. He's already 22 years old. You know is he really going back? You know especially you know as a 23 year old. I don't know because I want to say Osich is a redshirt junior, isn't he? I just can't remember but anyway, I know he's 22. So anyway, but I, I think his depends on his physical status, which nobody knows. And and I, I got to think with Ray Black, their, their seventh rounder, Pittsburgh, uh, you, you know, right-hander, you know, probably relief really pitcher. I, I think they get him done. And I can't, you know, I, I think he's, you know, probably get done for a little bit over slot if he hasn't signed at this point. But I, I would anticipate that would be it. I, I, I don't see an obvious late round guy uh, that they'd pour a bunch of money into. And I think the complicating factor in all this, Jim, might be the
0: fact that Pat Casey, all these rumors at Oregon State with Susack and Osage that Pat Casey might retire, uh, might move into administration there. Um, I wonder if that affects uh, any of the, the decision-making of these Oregon State players. But I, I just love the Giants. Traditionally, they hit the Pacific Northwest very hard. They were uh, there with uh, a. I I think that I I cannot remember the name of that area. Scout, he's not the same guy anymore, but they got hood up Lewis Clark State for them. Uh, You know, they got Marvin Bernard and Steve Reed and Steve Decker and a ton of Keith Folk, a ton of guys out of uh, the Pacific Northwest in the past. And Osich, he's a fourth year junior. Uh, He was a 2007 high school guy. So it's time for him to go out. But I don't know that the Pat Case situation will necessarily impact those guys, but uh, it could be one other thing to watch. We've uh, gone well past an hour on this podcast of the National League. We will come back. Uh, you can, uh, If you're a National League fan or a National League team is your team, thanks for listening to the podcast. Jim and I will come back on the other side with part two of our draft deadline spectacular podcast on BaseballAmerica.com. For Jim cows. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on that podcast. Until then, so long, everybody.